got some interesting um, metaphors that we use in uh, church, and especially charismatic churches, which is what we are. Charismatic doesn't mean that we are uh, very sparkly personalities. Charismatic means we believe in the, in the Holy Spirit, that he's still at work in the church, in us today. Um, but let it rain, let it rain. And someone's thinking, it already is. Um, and uh, Zandi shared a word about um, oil, uh, that God wants to pour out his oil um, and, and reignite our flames again. And someone's thinking, that's amazing, but we have electricity now. We don't use oil anymore. I'm picking up on phrases that we use, but I want to take some time this morning to explain those phrases. Otherwise, we end up singing songs and faking it till you make it, like I was mentioning about the New Believers course. But actually, God wants, to, wants us to, to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And truth means understanding. So I want to speak about um, the third person of the Trinity this morning, um, who is the Holy Spirit. So when we're, speaking, when we're singing about let it rain, what we're actually singing is, God, would you pour your spirit out on us afresh? Amen? Some of you are like, ah. Should we sing it again, now that you know what it means? I, I, I'm, I'm very conscious of constantly explaining what we do so we don't lose the significance of what we're doing. Because if we're singing stuff and we're doing stuff without uh, understanding, it's meaningless. Um, so, and how many of you know that we, just like the earth needs rain regularly, we need the Holy Spirit to pour out himself out on us regularly. Because that analogy of oil and a lamp is one of the most commonly used metaphors in the New Testament for us. And the Holy Spirit is the oil. And if you don't have a fresh dose of the Holy Spirit, your oil, your lamp will go out. And you might be the most well-intentioned uh, Christian. You can be striving as hard as you can and be as diligent as you can. But if you're not freshly filled with the Spirit, your oil will run out, your lamp will go out. Because it's God's grace that keeps us going. But how many of you know the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Grace? He is the Spirit of Grace. So, I want to speak about the person of the Holy Spirit this morning. And I'm going to tell you now already where we're going, just so that you can prepare your hearts. I'm really trusting that as we talk about the Holy Spirit, there's going to be a thirst and a hunger that's stirred up in us, whether you've been baptized in the Spirit before or not, so that we can really uh, trust God to fill us again, so that before we go home, our lamps truly will be filled with oil. Is that cool? I'm excited for this morning because even as I was prepping for this word, I realized, you know, once you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, there can be the danger of thinking, okay, cool, done that, tick, what's next? Well, the next thing to do is to go on being filled. And you never tick that box. And there's more. There's more to know of God. There's more to experience of God. And uh, and. You're never, you've never arrived as a Christian, and as soon as you feel like you have, God needs to humble you, and I'd rather humble myself. Amen? And so, um, Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, um, 
he said this to his disciples. And just to set the scene, Jesus um, was going back to heaven. He had risen from the dead. He was going back to heaven and he was leaving his disciples to keep up the good work that he had started. They already believed in him. They already knew that he was the Son of God. They were believers. And he said to them, before you go and start out on this great mission of spreading Christianity throughout the world, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Just leave that up there. So notice the language. Um, John baptized with water. Jesus came to baptize us with the Spirit. To be baptized means to be fully immersed in something. And the implication is that when you fully immerse something in, in, in a liquid and you hold it under there for long enough, what happens? It gets saturated. Um, one of the analogies is a ship that's sunk, fully immersed. It, it gets filled with water. Boats are not meant to be filled with water, but uh, we are intended to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is saying, you already believe in me, but I don't want you to go anywhere until you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so for us as Christians, uh, we believe that we are saved by faith. Faith leads to repentance. We are baptized in water as a sign of repentance. And then we receive the Holy Spirit. We are baptized in the Holy Spirit. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. And that happens once, but it certainly just doesn't just happen once. We then go on being filled with the Holy Spirit until the day the Lord takes us up to glory. So this morning I want to answer a few very practical questions because I've been asked a few very practical questions over the last couple of weeks um, about this topic. Um, it's one of the reasons why I want to, want to teach on it. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does He do? What does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? How do I know if I have been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And how can I receive an infilling of the Holy Spirit if I need one. Sound practical? And so I want to start not by talking about the theology of it. I want to talk by telling you my story with the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes hearing people's testimonies um, actually inspires faith. Uh, we met as a group of guys uh, last week, Wednesday, and we were all sharing testimonies of when we were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it really did spark a lot of hunger and faith. And it's exciting to talk about and this gift, because it's a gift. And when you start talking about gifts, it gets you amped, doesn't it? Think about Christmas. Start talking about what you're hoping to get for Christmas or what you receive for Christmas. It's a great thing to talk about, gifts. Some of you are already looking forward to December, and it's only uh, March. So my testimony of uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit, I was raised in a, a Christian home. Let me go on to say a very Christian home. Right, you get Christian homes, and then you get uh, excessively Christian homes. Uh, what I mean by that is, my parents were like missionaries and church planters, and we were constantly selling all of our possessions and going somewhere different for Jesus. And uh, I, I knew a lot about God. I've been to church pretty much every Sunday of my life uh, up till that point, but certainly true up to this point. And I'd heard the scriptures, I'd read the scriptures, I I knew the things of God. Um, as only a pastor's kid can. Amen? All the pastor's kids are like, we know stuff. 
But as I grew into my late teens, I, I began to realize I knew a lot of stuff, but it seemed there was some stuff I didn't have. And there's a difference. There's a difference between knowing stuff and having stuff, right? I, I, I knew the things of God, but I wasn't experiencing the things of God. And that is, that is very sad. Um, and so, uh, because I was proud, I, I didn't initially want to admit that this was going on in my heart. But there was something very, I was, there was a deep dissatisfaction and confusion, if I'm honest, going on in my heart. I was like, why is it that everyone seems to have something that I don't have? But I know it all, so I should have. And so you kind of have to fake it a bit, what well, I did, I won't put that on, on you. Um, but I be, see, here are some of the things that I didn't have. I, I, I didn't actually hear the voice of God. I prayed a lot. But it, it took me a long time to admit that actually, if I'm very honest, I, I don't hear God speaking, which is a very sobering thing to acknowledge as a, as a pastor's kid. So I didn't. I just said it to myself. I didn't tell anyone else. The other thing I, I didn't have was I would read my Bible diligently because I knew it was the right thing to do, but it was, it was literally like reading a dictionary. Who of you reads a dictionary for fun? Okay, one person. Not a lot of hands going up. Something you might do because it's good for you, but good grief, it's, it's not exactly a page turner for most of us. If we, And the Bible was exactly like that. I knew it was the right thing to do, but, but good grief, it was a real chore. Uh, and it, uh, to be honest, there were lots of the parts of the Bible that I avoided because I just didn't understand it. I'll just be super honest because it's a church, right? I avoided Romans. It was just like, I, this is like a book for a different person. I, I don't get it. I, I avoided Hebrews. I avoided Galatians. I'm not going to, I'll just leave it there because then you're going to start judging me. It was a lot, let me just suffice to say, there were a lot of books in the Bible that I just didn't, I didn't get it. And so that was one of the things. The other thing was that I didn't have the power of God in me that made Christianity fun. Almost everything that I did in Christianity was a chore. And so I would pray, and I would be praying with people at a prayer meeting, and people were praying so passionately and with so much zeal, and they really seemed to feel it. And I was like, guys, let's, you know, it's, we're just praying. Can we just chill out a bit? You know, I mean, we, we're doing the right thing. We, you know, we, we're doing what God told us. But you know, don't need to, like, be extra, you know. It's, we just pray, right? I, I didn't actually feel the presence of God ever. I knew people said that a lot, and I know that after worship, people would say things like, yes, I was the presence of the Lord during worship, and I'd be like, and some of my favorite songs, for sure, I enjoyed that one towards the, you know, like I enjoyed the songs, but I actually had no, uh, and I'm being very honest, because we need to be honest in church, right? There's a lot of you, there's a lot of you inside of like, I know exactly what you mean, and I'm really looking forward to the rest of the sermon, because that's like really resonating with me, which is why I'm sharing Testimonies are helpful like that. And, and, and I read a book, and I won't recommend the author. Hesitant to even mention the author's name. But seeing as we've been very honest this morning, there was a book called Good Morning Holy Spirit, written by a guy called Benny Hinn. I do not recommend that you go and download his sermons after this. He's gotten a bit weird since then. Um, but the book was all about the person of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. And as I read this book, I realized, this is what I need. 
all the lights came on. And I, had a, I, I was inspired with a, with a deep, deep hunger. I realized this is why my, my religion is fake. I have the, the truth, I have the form, but I don't have the power. It's not an experience for me. It's, it's not a dynamic relationship with God that I have. It's something I would like. And so you know when someone tells you a story and then you realize you are articulating what I need and I didn't even know that that's what I needed. That's what happened to me. And I got really, really hungry for the, for the person and the, and, the, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. But, but it wrecked me. It, the hunger wrecked me. Because as I got more and more hungry, I realized how desperately I need this. That actually I can't go on the way that I am. I, not, only, not only do I not want to go on, I did want to. I, I can't go on. You can only fake it for so long. And then it just gets exhausting. It's like, an oil, like a lamp that oil has gone out or a car that's petrol has run out. You can push that car for so long, but at some point you realize cars are not, are not invented. They're not designed to be pushed. Amen? Ladies are not nodding because it's usually the guys that push the cars. Eh? <laughs> or not. Hey, I'm, I'm not going to put anyone in a box here, but. And so I, I began to seek the Lord, and it took me about two years, and I think it doesn't usually take that long to be filled with the Spirit, but if you've got a lot of pride and arrogance, then it does take a bit longer, which, is, which was my problem. I was a PK. Pastors, kids know everything. Everything takes a little bit longer. We have to bang our heads just a little bit harder to knock the pride and arrogance out of us. But eventually I did actually start to experience little tastes of the presence of God. And it was like... It's difficult to describe it because I was so thirsty. Just a little taste of the presence of God. It was like, you know when you don't want to ruin the moment? It's like, if somebody knocks on the door, I'm going to rip their head off. You know, like it's like, you're, you're, okay, everything just pause, just pause. This is what I've been looking for for the last two years. I, I, this is the presence of God. This is amazing. I, but, it, but God kept me hungering. It would last for like five minutes. And then it would be gone. And I'd be like, Lord, do it again. Lord, I... I <laughs> Uh, and, and it was a journey for me, and I experienced more and more of the presence of God. And what I, I have words to describe now what was going on. I didn't even have the words to describe at that stage what was even going on. I was being filled with the Spirit. I was being baptized in the Spirit, and it was amazing. It was absolutely incredible. It was like crawling through a desert on your hands and knees and then finding some water. That's what it was like for me. And interesting, the analogy that's most often used of the Holy Spirit is, Water, let it rain, oil, but living water. He's the living water, and, and, and Christians need living water because we are spiritual beings. Drinking water from the tap is great for your body, but for your spirit, your soul, you need the Holy Spirit. And uh, he, he, um, he transformed my whole Christian experience. Uh, the most noticeable change was that my Bible started making sense. In fact... I started loving to read my Bible. Then you know it's a work of God. Genuine. Like if you knew me, you know this is a work. I would go to work and I'd work at the night shift and I was a manager, uh, basically just making sure no one stole stuff. That was my job. It wasn't a very complicated job. People would come in to work. They'd sign in at like 6 p.m. I'd be reading my Bible. They'd sign out at 11 p.m. And I'd still be reading my Bible. And eventually I started getting comments. Like, 
Wow, you really enjoy reading that. <laughs> you really enjoy. But I promise you, I've been in church my whole life. I'd read my whole Bible my whole life. It was like I was reading it for the very first time. I couldn't stop talking about it. I kept going up to friends and saying, I read this. Have you ever seen this before? I was like, no, I've never seen this before in my Bible. But I'd heard it thousands of times. I'd read it thousands of times. But it was like the lights came on. And it's interesting when Paul, who was formerly known as Saul, who was trained as a Pharisee, as a teacher of the law, it's interesting that when, the, when God encountered him and knocked him off of his horse, and he went blind. When he encountered God, he went blind. He had to be led around by other people into, I think it was, where were they going? Damascus. And he was blind for three days, and God told another prophet to go and pray for him to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he got his eyesight back. What do you think the significance of that is? Jesus said to the Pharisees, you're blind because you think you can see. You think you can see. You've got a religious spirit. You think you can see, but you're blind. God was telling Paul, you think you can see. You don't. You can't. You're blind. You need my Holy Spirit. I'll teach you. And God was doing the exact same thing with me. You're a pastor's kid. You think you can see. You, you can't. You need my spirit. I'll open your eyes. I'll give you eyes to see. And the Holy Spirit gives us eyes to see. You either see you in the flesh or you see by the Spirit. But, but to see as God sees, you need the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John chapter 16, I've got that one. John chapter 16. He said, I'm going to go now. I'm going back to the Father. And all the disciples were sad because they had enjoyed their time with Jesus. He said, because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Interesting name for the third person of the Trinity. Notice it's a, it's a proper noun. You see the H is capitalized? His name is the helper. What a great name. For God himself, the third person of the Trinity, he's our helper. How many of us need help? Hands going up all over the place. What a great gift. What an incredible gift of God. He knew we'd need it. Man, I needed it. I need it. The helper. His name is the helper. What a cool name. If I go, I will send him to you. And the implication is, and he'll come and help you. Jesus is saying, it's better if he comes rather, because he's going to help you in ways that I can't. One of the ways is that Jesus could only be in one place at one time. He could only help 12 people at one time. Holy Spirit poured out on all flesh. He can help us. He can teach us. He can show us the Father. It's interesting that the, the Trinity, now I'm going to delve into a little bit of theology, so st stick with me. Can you put up my, my diagram there, Kev? The Trinity is three persons that make up one God. He is what we refer to as the triune God. The unity between the persons of the Trinity is so intense, it's, they're one. We don't actually have something like that on earth. We don't know that kind of unity here. It's actually one of the reasons why we struggle with the Trinity. It's because we have independence. They have unity. But they are 
one, but they are distinct. Each person of the Trinity has a distinct person. They're a distinct person, and they have distinct roles which they uh, play out in helping humans, in helping us mankind. Even in our salvation, God saves us as God, and each person of the Trinity has a unique role. Did you know that? I'll, uh, I'll break it down a little bit for you. You can, you can put, up, put up the next one. Here's how the scriptures describe the role of each person. Now, this is a very summarized version, eh? Please, this is a very rudimentary. There's a lot more to it than this. I just, I don't want to spend a whole sermon on this. But here's some of the most common references to the work that they do. The Father is the one that initiates and plans all things, including our salvation. The Son is the one that is sent to do the will of the Father. He makes the plan reality. He implements the plan. The Spirit is the one that applies the work of Christ to your life. He he applies the work of Christ. He empowers the work of Christ. In fact, the Holy Spirit even empowered Christ. Do you know what the word Christ means? Anointed one. Anointed by what? Anointed by who? Anointed by God in the power of the Holy Spirit. He did his miracles through the empowering work of the Spirit. He empowered Christ. He empowers us to fulfill the work of God. Another way of that they are described, God is referred to as creator, Jesus is referred to redeemer, the Spirit is referred to as helper. And so I want to just read one verse, uh, there's so many, but I just want to pick one to illustrate this fact in 1 Peter. Um, how beautiful is this? this is, I love this kind of stuff, so I hope I don't get too down this rabbit hole. According, this is talking about our salvation. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, He's the one that plans, He's the one that initiates. In the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood. The Father initiates, He plans according to His foreknowledge. The Spirit sanctifies us, that means He applies the work of Christ. He makes us holy. How? Through the cleansing blood of Jesus. Jesus is the Redeemer. He's the one that died on the cross. The Holy Spirit applies the work that Christ did for us on the cross. How many of you know Jesus died for the sins of the whole world? True? Is the whole world saved? No. Because the work of Christ is to be applied to your life by the Holy Spirit in order for it to actually do anything. And so the person of the Holy Spirit is the one that applies the work of Christ to your life. Which is why, as a pastor's kid, very arrogant, knowing all the things of the kingdom, I didn't experience the things of the kingdom because the Holy Spirit wasn't filling me and applying what Christ had done to my life. And so knowing it isn't good enough, the Holy Spirit has to apply it to your life. Here are a few unique things about the person of the Holy Spirit. We could spend like a whole series on this, but I'm just going to hit the highlights. Some of the, the unique things about the Holy Spirit. He is a person. Now, I mention this because it's easy to think of the Holy Spirit as a force or a power or an energy. And that's because he does all the work. But he's not a force. He's a person. How do we know that? Jesus said, when I go, I will send him to you. Not it. I'll send him, the Holy Spirit, the person. And he will teach you. He will guide you. He will lead you. 
He will instruct you. These are things people do, right? Not electricity or forces. People do these things. He can be grieved. He can hurt his feelings. Then you know it's a person, right? (laughs) He speaks the mind of God. He leads us. These are the beautiful things that the Holy Spirit does. Next one. He doesn't draw attention to himself. He always draws attention to Jesus. We were learning last week about revival when the power of God uh, moves. What's distinctive about the work of the Holy Spirit is he always lifts Jesus up. How do you know it's a genuine move of God? Because it lifts Jesus up. In fact, here's what it says. However, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak what he hears and he will declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me. It's Jesus. The Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus by taking from what is mine and disclosing it to you. One of the most distinctive works of the Holy Spirit is worship. Amen? I mean, we all, we all know how to worship, but how many of you know the difference between knowing how to worship and wanting to worship? It's different, isn't it? Sometimes even on a Sunday. Isn't it like that? You come in, start worshiping because it's the right thing to do and everyone else is doing it. And as you're worshiping, you feel the Holy Spirit moving in your heart. And all of a sudden, it's fun. It's amazing. And, and, and all of a sudden, it feels like there's nothing else I'd rather be doing than worshiping Jesus right now. Why? Because the Spirit is moving your heart. He's showing you Jesus. And He's empowering you to worship a glorified, lifted up, resurrected Jesus. That's the work of the Spirit. Next one. He leads us, but you can resist Him. You can resist the work of the Spirit. Uh, Well, it's obvious when you read that scripture, that's a a rebuke against the Pharisees who were always resisting the Holy Spirit. If um, If you resist the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that over time, your heart can grow calloused and it can grow dull to the voice of the Spirit. And that's a really sad thing that can happen. And I cannot say will happen. It will happen your heart will grow dull to the voice of the Spirit when you ignore Him. So what do you do? You repent. And when you repent, the Holy Spirit comes and He softens your heart. Isn't that amazing? He takes a heart of stone and He makes it soft again. And He does it when we repent. But if you ignore Him, your heart gets calloused. When you respond to Him, your heart gets soft. Next one. He's often referred to as the gift or the helper. What's interesting about the Holy Spirit is that the new covenant, which we are always celebrating, isn't a new covenant if you don't have the Spirit. He is the distinctive gift of the new covenant. You can't actually experience the benefit or the blessing of the new covenant without the Holy Spirit. He is the one that applies all the benefits of the Spirit. Got a question? What is the covenant? So, the covenant in the Old Testament, was made, it's an agreement between God and people. And agreement has got conditions. That if you keep these laws, if you keep these conditions, you will experience the blessing of God. The new covenant is made through Christ. The condition of the new covenant is faith in Jesus. And as we have faith in Jesus, He 
blesses us and he leads us and he gives us his Holy Spirit. We're actually going to talk about that just now. When Peter got up on the first day, the first sermon on the day of Pentecost, he says, you guys are wondering what's going on here. The Holy Spirit's just been poured out. Let me explain what that means. And he quotes Joel, that the Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. And then he says, well, you might be wondering how you can receive this gift. And then he says, uh, repent and believe in Jesus Christ and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so the new covenant is the new way in which we come to God through Christ. And by virtue of that, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It says that he, um, we're going to go, on, we're gonna go on, on to the next one now. What, what, remember I mentioned I'm going to answer this question. What does the Holy Spirit do? And what is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to go back to the very first time, the very first people that were baptized in the Holy Spirit. We'll get some clues as to what, what he does and what baptism in the Spirit actually is. One of the questions which people often ask is, didn't I receive the Holy Spirit when I got saved? So if that's true, what is baptism in the Spirit? I'm glad you asked. We're going to answer that question now. True that the disciples were believers. They had seen the resurrected Christ. If there was anyone that who had repented and believed, it was the disciples, right? They'd literally been there when Jesus was, was crucified and raised from the dead. But it says, um, when, when you receive this Holy Spirit, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What's interesting that when the disciples started out on their great mission, they didn't have courage and they didn't have power. In fact, they were so lacking in courage and power, they were actually locked behind closed doors, hiding from the authorities, dreading the fact that they might be killed just like Jesus was, which was a very real possibility, right? When the Holy Spirit fell on them, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they did receive power, and they received courage, and the very first thing that they did was started to witness about Jesus. In fact, how many thousand people got saved on the first day? 3,000. On the first day that the Holy Spirit was poured out. Interesting that when Christians get saved, when they get born again, when they get filled with the Spirit, what's the first thing that they do? Tell all their friends. Amen? That's why many of you are here, because somebody in this church got filled with the Spirit and then they told you about it. <laughs> Especially in the mid-campus. Uh, and so he empowers us to be witnesses about Christ. But can I say... That is a very crude summary of what the Holy Spirit does. Because to be honest, what does He empower us to do? Everything. Everything. Everything that Christians do, the Holy Spirit empowers us to do. The Bible speaks about gifts of the Holy Spirit. You've heard that phrase before? Prophecy, evangelism, uh, pastors, you know, serving, all of these gifts of the Holy Spirit. They are gifts which are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Interesting, even in the Old Testament, people were baptized in the Spirit and they had supernatural gifts. Think of David. You got that one. Um, David, Saul, Samuel anointed David to be the future king of Israel. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. What about Samson? He had a unique spiritual gift, ripping people and animals apart. Anyone got that uh, gift here? Nobody. Old Testament. We don't do that anymore. Samson says, The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson and he tore the lion apart with his bare hands. 
as one tears a young goat. Samson, don't pretend like you've done that before, Dave. Don't pretend like you've done it before, bro. Samson was called to be a deliverer of Israel in physical warfare with swords and stuff. So it wasn't going to be any good to him to get a spirit of prophecy or a spirit of encouragement. If your job is to kill Philistines, you're going to need something different. Amen? If you've got a sword or a spear in your hand and you've got a lot of Philistines to kill, what you're going to need is this gift that he got here. Supernatural strength. And he used it. And he was a deliverer in Israel. The only problem is he was compromised in his character. But the gift was there. The gift was there. And so in the book of Acts, it says, you know that in the old covenant, people were baptized in the Spirit, because you heard of guys like Samson and the prophets who prophesied, these, these men that did extraordinary things for God. The promise of the new covenant is that the Spirit will be poured out on all people. That's the difference. In the Old Testament, it was some. In the New Testament, it's available for all, including you. The Holy Spirit gives us a new heart. That's what it says in uh, the next one, in Ezekiel. Holy Spirit gives us a new heart. Just read to the last part there. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. The line before says, I will remove the heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh. Holy Spirit gives us a new heart. Can I say he does that when you get born again, but he does it again and again. And again, our hearts get hard. And he gives us a new heart. So whenever you're discouraged because you're a Christian, but you don't feel like one or you're not acting like one today, there's hope. You can go to God and say, God, would you pour your spirit out on me afresh? I need a new heart. I need a new heart. The number of times I've prayed that prayer, it's embarrassing. I need a new heart again, Lord. My heart's gotten rotten. Give me a new heart, Lord. Renew me. And he does. The last thing I'll mention about the work of the spirit he seals us. He affirms us in our sonship. Uh, I'm on number six now. Many Christians struggle with this. They, 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 don't, they have days when they wonder if they are actually saved. And they feel insecure. And they're not sure if they need to get saved again because they, they feel like they are children. They feel like they've prayed the right prayers, but they, they don't feel an surety of their salvation. Here's the good news. The Holy Spirit is the assurance of your salvation. Some people go to theology to find assurance of their salvation. I don't. I go to the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, when you were included in Christ, when you heard the message of the truth, gospel of your salvation when you believed you were marked in him with a seal the promised holy spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance when i feel like i'm not sure if i'm saved you know what i do i say god would you fill me afresh with your holy spirit would you show me your love for me would you affirm me in your love for me and the holy spirit does that Holy Spirit within me, the Bible says, cries out, Abba, Father. And he affirms me that I am loved, that I am his, that I belong to him. Holy Spirit speaks. One of the ways that I know I'm a child of God, I'm hearing the voice of God. Obviously, it doesn't help if you're not obeying the voice of God. 
But when I'm hearing the voice of God, it reminds me that I'm his child. It's interesting that the disciples, when they first had their elders meeting to decide who they were going to choose to replace Judas, Judas was one of the 12. Now they were 11. 11 you know, the 12 disciples is just odd if you're just 11, right? So they're like, well, we, we need to fix this and appoint somebody to replace Judas. They weren't sure who to appoint. So you know what they did? They're like, we need to seek the Lord, guys. What we'll do is we'll get a bunch of rocks and we'll paint one black. And, and, and if, if somebody pulls the black stone, we'll know that God's choosing them. They call it choosing lots. That's something that they did in the Old Testament. What a sad elders meeting, eh? So I'm just trying to think if we were gathered as elders, okay, we need to make an important uh, decision, guys. What are we going to do? We're going to put a bunch of rocks in a bag and then we're going to say, Lord, please help us here. If we pull out a red one, then we know, Lord, it's a no. If we pull out a green one, you know, they never did that again. Never. Because they were filled with the Holy Spirit shortly thereafter. And then the rest of the book of Acts, is, it looks like this. The Holy Spirit said, the Holy Spirit said, the Holy Spirit said they never had to pull another rock again. And the, and the, and the promise for you and for me is, when you're filled with the Spirit, you hear God's voice. He leads us. He speaks to us. And so we are going to pray. And I hope that this message has inspired you and, and awoken a hunger and a desire in you, whether or not you've been filled with the Spirit before. Because for those of us who have been filled with the Spirit, there's more. The Bible says in Ephesians, go on being filled. Go on being filled with the Spirit. So let's close our eyes.